What's up, guys? I am your host, Brandon Foster, and you are listening to The Last Podcast. And then you say you heard a saying that said, don't let perfection get in the way of good. And really think about critical decisions that could literally change the path of your life. If you know anything about me, you know that I love, love golf. Are you born a leader or is it developed? I am always just focused on the end game, um, the end result. One, I'm undersized. Five, seven, and three-fourths according to my pro day. Don't focus on the success, focus on the journey. Welcome back, or if it's your first time, welcome. This is the last podcast. I am your host, Brandon Foster, and this is the only time it's okay to be last. All right, depression. Nah, fam, not me. (laughs) And I say it like that because I can remember somebody asking me, B. Foster, you depressed, bro? And for a minute... I wanted to tell the truth and say, yeah, bro, I really think I am. But, of course, the ego, the the athletic being in me, I was like, nah, fam, not me. I'm good, bro. And I can remember thinking about doing this podcast, and one of the first things I knew I wanted to talk about was me battling depression. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't let my parents know. I didn't let my dad know. I didn't let anybody know that was important to me. I just kind of dealt with it on my own. But I don't want to dive too deep into this intro. But if you haven't listened to my uh, my first podcast or my pilot episode, I like to break my podcast into four quarters. Why? Because I'm a football player. And I just like to break it down like that. So on today's episode, first quarter, I'm going to tell you how it all started, how my depression journey started. Second quarter, I'm going to go a little bit more deeper into it and tell you how I knew I was depressed and how I kind of admitted to myself that I was depressed. And then when I come back from halftime, third quarter, I'm going to tell you how when I got into education, how kids, my students, got me out of depression. And in the fourth quarter, I am going to uh, give some advice, some insight about how to handle depression. Now, let's get one thing clear. I'm not an expert. If you are depressed, please go seek help. And again, this is just a a platform for me to share my experience and give you insight on how I handle depression. So, again, if you are for real depressed and you know it, then find somebody that you love that you can tell and go seek you some professional help. But before I get into this first quarter, here's a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Ross Elite Chauffeur Service. At Ross Elite Chauffeur Service, our mission is to provide exemplary service while meeting all your transportation needs. We are proud to offer an extensive fleet of luxury vehicles driven by a team of professional drivers with more than 30 years of chauffeur expertise. From airport transportation to wine tours and any special event in between, we'll get you to your destination in superior style. Ross Elite Chauffeur Service. We know what it means to be elite. Let's dive right into this first quarter. So there's always a couple of of events that you always feel like you're going to know where you were, who you were with, what time of the day. You're going to you're going to remember that event vividly. And there's a couple of events in my life that I'm going to forever forever remember. One of them is 9/11. I can remember that day very vividly. Uh, the birth of my son, I can tell you right now, I remember that vividly because I was scared as hell, okay? 
And then low key, uh, when my when my wife, when she was my wife at the time, but when my wife told me she was pregnant, <laughs> I can tell you right then, boy, the the world stopped when I heard that news. But there's always there's there's those few events in your life that you'll never never forget, and one of those is the day I got cut from the Indianapolis Colts. So I can remember I was with the Colts for a year already, so I was coming back and we're the day before training camp was about to start. I get I get to Indianapolis. Um, I can remember Tim Jennings hitting me up. I was like, hey, bro, let's go let's go play some golf. We, we, we wasn't doing anything. So I'm like, bet, cool. Go to the golf course. I can remember first hole. You know, I'm just trash. At that time, I was trash. And just doing, you know, golf stuff. And then my phone rang, and it was my Uncle Barry. And what was weird about that is, for one, like, my Uncle Barry never calls. Like, you know, all my uncles, I got great relationships with them, but it's not one of those things where I talk to my uncle on the phone or I call him or we text. Just one of those things when I see him, we chop it up, we catch up and all that good stuff. So he calls, and he's like, hey, B, did you get cut? And I'm like, no, sir, not, not that I know of. I don't, I don't think so. He's like, all right, man. He's like, you need to, you need to check into it. You need to uh, call Jordan, who's my agent. You need to call Jordan and see what's going on, because the coach just called me and they were they were looking looking for you, trying to get your number. And at that at that time, at the time, I didn't remember, but now I remember that I had got my my phone number changed, so I knew they didn't have my phone number. Cool, Tim was like, "Man, bro, you, you got cut." I was like, "No, nah, not." I was like, "Not." I said they haven't called me, but at the time again, I didn't remember that I changed my number, and that they didn't know. So. I text my agent and I was like, hey Jordan, did I get cut? And of course he instantly calls me back and he's like, uh, he's like, no, nah, he said, they haven't called me, you haven't got cut. I was like, well, my Uncle B called me and said that they were looking for me. Um, he thinks that it's because I got cut. He was like, all right, let me check into it. So he checks into it, he calls me back like five minutes later. We play next hole. He's like, he's like, nah, B, I haven't. He said, like, I called him, but that, nobody picked up. I haven't heard anything. So cool. So, you know, my stomach already kind of, kind of turning anyway. And I play another hole, and then my phone rings. And it's an Indianapolis number. And I don't remember what Indianapolis area code is. I want to say it's 310, 310, 3-something. I don't know. I, I could be totally off. But it's an Indianapolis number, so I pick it up. I pick up the phone, and it's Coach Codwell. My rookie year was Coach Dungy. Coach Tony Dungy was the head coach. And great guy. You know, he's a former DB. So I felt real good. Like, I, I, you know, I was going into the – I went into that previous year, you know, as long as I can, you know, show my work, I can make team, which I did. But he retired over the summer. So I kind of knew that there was a possibility that, one, it was going to be harder to make the team because I know, just like in the real world, if there's a leadership change, that leader is going to want to bring in his people. And just like I knew that Coach Caldwell was going to want to bring in He's going to have certain type of players. I knew all that. And we had a new D coordinator. So one thing about the coach is we had a small secondary besides, you know, Marlon Jackson. He was he was a pretty tall cat. But other than that, I mean, we were all smaller DBs, so I, I knew I was good. But when we Coach Tony Dungy retired, then we got a new defensive coordinator. I knew that it was possible that one is it's going to be harder to make a team, but it never crossed my mind that, like, hey, bro, you can be cut before even the season starts. So – Anyway, back to my phone ringing, it's Coach Conway. He's like, hey, and it's how this is. I don't know if you guys have seen um, Hard Knocks, but it's like this cutthroat. He's like, hey, Foster, uh, this is Coach Conway. And uh, we decided that we're going to release you today. 
and we need you to come to the facility and turn in your uh, playbook. And of course, it's like, I mean, all I said was, yes, sir. And it sucks because I was with, I was with some of my teammates and I was like, damn, bro, I got cut. And it's like, dang, for real? I mean, it's, and it's part of the business. It ain't like they're going to cry or whatever, whatever. But it's just like, I'm like, yeah, bro. So I'm on like hole six. So I, I, I like, all right, man, fellas, all right, good luck. You know, hopefully I'll see y'all, you know, be playing against y'all, whatever, whatever. And I get my stuff and get to the facility. You know, of course, Coach Caldwell sat me down and, you know, hey, Foster, we're just going in a different direction. New defensive coordinator, you know, whatever. All the stuff that they're supposed to say. You know, and I, I have no ill feel, ill feelings towards Bill Poley and his and, – and, uh, or Coach because that's just part of – NFL's a business. So, you know, they let me go. So, I'm like, cool. So, of course, my agent knows. He's like, I already fostered, like, hey, you know, it's part of the business. Definitely going to, you know, try my hardest to get you. Because, again, and then what sucks is this was a day before or two days before, I want to say. It was one or two days before we were supposed to report. So, my agent was 100 with me. He's like, hey, I'm going to let you know right now it's going to be really hard to get you into these camps because a lot of these rosters are already set. But he's like, hey, keep working out. Keep doing your thing because all it takes is one injury in the training camp and you'll be flying in. So I'm working, I'm working, working. You know, and I'm really like low-key. I'm expecting to – I mean, I'm watching ESPN. I'm looking at the at the wire, at the NFL wire. People, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. And, you know, a couple days go by. And I'm like, all right, cool. I ain't tripping. One week goes by. You know, two weeks goes by. But I'm at the third week, and that's when I'm, I'm, starting, I'm starting to think like, Cause at the third week, you're already that's let's see that's technically week two of preseason because you got your you have your Hall of Fame game and then you have your official week week one preseason. So that third week is already week two, and I'm I'm to that point where I'm I'm starting to get a little impatient, and that's when you start thinking like man my career could be over, you know. I, and look, the thing is, I know a lot of people think oh he made the NFL you rich like nah bro well not me. Because I was one for one, I was on practice squad, so that's significantly less money than if I'm a active squad guy making at least the league minimum. I mean, the difference between a practice squad check and a active squad check versus a a minimum salary player is a huge difference. You're talking about three thousand dollars a week take home pay compared to ten thousand dollars a week take home pay. Like that's the difference. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money, especially right now, me being a teacher. I'll take that three thousand dollars a week for sure. But it was a it was a big difference. So again, it's it's week three, week four, preseason over with. So oh, I take that back. Week three shows up in preseason and week three in preseason for us scrubs, us free agents, that's our that's our game to play. Well, I take that back. Actually week three is is the game that a lot of your starters play. They're gonna play one or two quarters, three quarters max, and then us scrubs. I say us scrubs, us free agents, us late-round draft picks. We get a chance to show what we can do. But then that last week, week four, that's our game to play. So in my mind, I was already thinking, like, man, if I don't make a week – if I'm not on a team week four, like, that's bad. Like, I, it's pretty much over. And, again, week four rolls up, I'm not on anybody's roster. I mean, I'm texting my agent. He's like, man, hey, B, I'm trying. I'm not getting any bites. And at the time, like, I get it. I'm a 5, 7, and 3 fourths 
corner, there is not a big market for me. Like, I get it. I, I know I was on the Colts team because, one, the head coach was a former DB, and Coach Dungy is not a big guy. And you look at Bob Sanders, who was 5'9", so they had a thing for – they believed that size wasn't necessarily an issue. If you can play ball, you can play ball. Okay, but, again, in the NFL, like, if you got to guard some six four receivers, like, hey, if I'm a GM, I ain't looking at these little DBs either. That's just real talk. So I knew. So I, I knew. Then I want to say about week two or three, I, fi- I finally, finally get a call. And it's a tryout with the Cleveland Browns. And, one, again, I, I might have just been naive. I probably really just didn't know the situation. But my agent's like, hey, give me all the details. Here's your flight. Here's what you need to be, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking it's going to be a tryout for me. So when I get there, get to the facility, I pull up. There's literally now, there's literally 15 DBs there. Okay, so there's 15 of us. So, one, that was a shock because I'm thinking it was a trial for me. Because the trials that I've seen in Indianapolis, it was always, at max, three or four dudes. Okay, and I don't know if you guys know, but practice squad, that is a, that is, practice squad, that is a revolving door. It was rare for me to even be on practice squad all year. But it was what i seen. It was always just two or three guys trying out or working out and trying out. Okay, so when I got there, and it's 15, and, you know, I'm talking to these guys, and some of these guys are like, in my opinion, they NFL vets already. I'm like, bro, how long you been in the league? I was like, oh, bro, this is my fourth year. Oh, bro, this is my eighth year. You know, there's some there's some old heads in this group that I'm that I'm working out against. So we run 40s. Of course, I had the fastest time. I'm out there chopping like, ah, ah. That's what I do. You know, that's, that's my bread and butter. But, again, I'm small, so – it has to balance itself out. Then we do a bunch of DB drills, and I always felt like my my my, my footwork was icy. So we do we do this. We wake up early. We do all that stuff. We do it all in one day. And then they gonna we have lunch, and then they basically they tell us right then like, sorry, we're not gonna go with you. And they didn't. They didn't go with 14 of us. And the guy that they ended up picking was the guy that was already in the league for eight years. Okay, so at that point I already knew that. Like, if that's going to be my experience of trying to make a roster, it's going to always be tough. Not that I didn't believe in myself. I just have always been a very realistic person. Okay, so I didn't, didn't, get any, didn't get any tryouts, and my phone never rang from that point forward. And that's when, for me, that was the first event that, at the time I didn't know this, but that was the first event for me that put me in the first – state or I guess I want to say first level of depression for me so I wanted to start this first quarter off with really giving you the event that started my depression so I'm about to go into this second quarter and really tell you how I got worse before it got better so I want to tell you this story of of being cut because one I mean it's it's what started it all and it was really a time where it was just so much unknown that it was just that much scary. Because now, in the back of my mind, I knew that I was going to have to be more than just an athlete. And you got to think, I've given my whole life to be a football player. Even in college, there were certain things, certain opportunities that I didn't take because I was a football player. Not that they didn't give us opportunities to do more, but 
In my mind, I was going to be a football player, period. That's all I wanted to do. I had I had told myself. Remember when I told that story in my pilot episode when I seen my uncle's house and everything slow motion? I was going to be a football player. Let's take us a quick intermission. Yo, it's your boy D Brown, aka Scooby Juice from They Don't Want Me to Be Great. And you're listening to The Last Podcast with Brandon Foster. So, you know the story of how it all started. So, now I want to go into a little bit more detail about really after football ended, what were some events that even, like I said, made it worse before it got better? All right, so I got cut. Honestly, like I said, I thought I was going to get picked up. But, I mean, NFL, like, child, please. Like, you're 5'7", bro. Like, like, there ain't that much room for you. And my mindset, and here's what, here's what made it hard. So, honestly, after a while, like, you know, after it's, you know, it's week eight or nine in, in NFL, I really told myself, all right, cool, no big deal. Because my attitude was this. For the last five years, I was at UT. And they did a great job, and I say they, UT did a great job of, and I really should say Coach Brown did a great job of, one, making sure that we took care of our, our business academically. And that was important to him because it was one of those things where when you graduate from UT, that holds weight. And I'm telling y'all, we, I believe that, and I know from you know speaking to a lot of my teammates, we all believe that. Man, we this this degree that we have from UT is worth more than a way to go. Like that's low key how I felt. So I had a lot of confidence that you know what? All right, cool. If football doesn't work out, I'm gonna be able to go to these job interviews and be like, boom, here's my UT degree. Hire me. Just very naive to the fact that I didn't have any job experience whatsoever, and that honestly, that's important. That's just as important as where your degree is from and what your degree is in. I can remember just telling myself, like, it's gonna be all right, bro, because you gotta, you gotta, you have a, a UT degree. But here's the problem. Okay, I got cut in 2009. The United States is in and going through a recession. There is literally not that many jobs at all, and I can remember. Like, I can remember my dad trying to get me on a bear helicopter. And you got to think my dad old school. They, they're from the generation of, you know, you get on, you work for, you work your 30 years and you retire, you know. And there's no, there's no heavy education factor on those jobs. He works for a union. And to me, that's already like a, you working for a union. That's, to me, that is not reality. And I know my, my opinion is jaded because I'm in education. But I've been dealing with my dad being in the union for a long time. They take strikes because they got to pay too much on their copay. I'm like, man, we don't even get a we don't even get a choice about what kind of insurance we get as an educator. And y'all over here taking strikes on because the copay was too high. Y'all y'all go on strike for two months. So, but it was crazy because I can remember him trying to get me jobs. And again, my, I I know my dad's respected at work. You know, he 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 knows. He's respected and he, he knows that, like, hey, if he can try to get somebody on, he can at least influence or give somebody a chance. So, of course, he's going to try to get try to get me on. And I really thought I had a chance because my grandfather worked at Bell Helicopter. 
he had Bell Helicopter. So I'm low key thinking like, man, I'm about to be, I'm about to be another Foster Two at Bell Helicopter. This is about to be cool. But even he couldn't get me on, and I know he was getting to the point where he was like, hey son, like, and again I went, I went back home like I, with my NFL money. I didn't go buy a house or all this crazy stuff because one, I didn't make that much money. But I just got good parents. And I was like, I'm just going back home. But of course, like my dad told me, like, hey son, you ain't finna just be in this house sitting doing nothing. I don't care what kind of money you got in your bank account. You, you still finna work. So I, I remember just looking looking for these jobs. He's trying to get me on. And eventually, he was just like, hey, son, you basically need like an engineering degree. And I was like, I, don't, I didn't have no engineering degree. That's, you know, as far as a lot of positions that they had. And this is during recessions. So that was, that was like a dead end. So <laughs> I can remember trying to fathom why couldn't I get a job? Because I honestly thought, like, when somebody seen that I had a degree from UT, that that's all I needed. Like, that's how naive I was. But at the same time, that's what was sold to us. But unfortunately, when you graduate college around that time and it's a recession, it um, it doesn't matter or where your degree is from. So I'm, and this, I'm going to tell you all a story. This, this, is, this is probably the event that I knew. I was depressed. You know what? Before I even tell that story, so here's a, here's some more. So okay, I'm looking for jobs. Can't I can't get can't find any jobs. There's we're in a recession. Then also I'm a father now, so that's already I'm well, I'm about to be a father. That's already stressing me out. A girl pregnant. I don't know what to do. I don't, like I don't know how to be no daddy. I got a great daddy, but that don't mean I'm not to be a daddy. Okay, the only thing I was hoping for is that I had a boy. That's the only that was the only bright side. Like please just give me a boy. So he could be athlete. That was like my mindset for I just want a boy because they play sports. Girls, they cheerlead. Nobody want to watch all that. Okay, no, no shade to the cheerleaders. Y'all, y'all athletes too. But I'm about, I'm about to be a father. Now I'm thinking, all right, I, I'm not bringing any money in at all. But I'm about to be a father. That was tough to. Uh, that was a tough pill to swallow, knowing that I was about to be a dad, and I, I, don't, I don't have any income in. I can't find a job, and I have a college degree. So I, I mean I started getting desperate. I started getting on Craigslist looking for jobs. And I don't know if I don't know if anybody knows what Craigslist is, but it's just classified ads. Not even classified, but they're ads. There's just a a platform where you can post anything. You can post job ads. You can post. You can sell anything. It's like this is where you can find anything. You can buy anything. It's an online marketplace. I see this job post that says it's actually looking for former athletes, and it's it's a marketing job. You, and the thing that got me said no experience necessary, so I'm like cool. Like I, I of course, and there was like it was a sales position, but at the time I thought I was like man this is perfect. So I submit my I submit my resume to the email, and I think I get a response within a couple of days. I'm like this is like this is now <laughs> this was crazy. Is this is actually my first job interview outside of being an athlete? So I'm like nervous. I don't I don't have any experience about how to handle a job interview or nothing. So I remember just hey, I had a nice suit. I had I had my national championship ring on cuz low key, I was like I'm going to put this ring on and if they don't want me, they tripping anyway. Like I'm national champion. I know what it is to be on the team and I know what it is to win. Like I might not bring necess- necessarily any job experience, but I can bring a mindset that I can get the job done. I know my place, I know my role and 
I can make it work. Like I can I can learn fast. Like the you know stuff that athletes are good at. We have a growth mindset where we can just we can do anything. Just teach us, coach us, and then let us work. So I, I, I'm telling you, I, I was suited and booted, had my ring on, had my T ring on. I'm looking real official. So I get to this interview, and of course this other interview is there, and I remember sitting down with this lady, and she was uh, asking me a bunch of questions. And, I, and to me, luckily I had I had some experience in doing interviews, not necessarily a job interview, but I had experience doing interviews. So I was comfortable speaking. That was not a that was not a hard thing to do. So she's like, hey, I really like you. You know, speak very well. You know, you can articulate your thoughts. And she's like, we don't usually do it this way, but I, I want you to go out with a couple of our field agents to really see if you like what we do here. And again, I'm like, I know it's like it's marketing sales. It's a marketing sales position. So I'm like, cool. And again, now I didn't at the time I didn't realize this, but she she didn't tell me what we were selling at the time. I didn't have anything to do. I'm like I'm like perfect. Like in my mind, I'm thinking like, cool, I already got the job. And remind you, this is a this is a commission job, which I have no experience in having a commission job, a commission based job. Then she still hasn't told me what we're selling. She's like, I really want you to go with these two guys. And again, I'm not a judgmental guy. I don't, I don't been around some good people. I don't been around some hood. I don't been around everything. My daddy did a good job of balancing me around how to be around certain type of people. Yeah, but I'm gonna tell you this. First of all, from her professionalism and how we conducted our interview to these two guys that she sent me with, I was like, hold up, some some don't add up. These dudes show up and they're like, hey, what's up? I'm so and so. I don't know what her name was. Told us that you know you can go on the field with us today. So I'm like, cool. But you know, I, I, and again, I try not to judge a book by its cover because you you'll be fooled if you do. So I told myself, cool. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge these guys. So but I'm gonna tell you what I actually describing it. But just imagine you and you and a you're in a interview and you suited and booted and you're nice and you're thinking this is a high-end or higher-end job that you would think that your counterparts of these two gentlemen will look the same but they did not so that was the that was the first flag first dudes had on big old dress shirt like this bro they just wasn't put together like bro you too old for that and my that's you was too old for that so we get in the car and i'm like they like yeah man we just you know we do this and we like and this was this is what they sold so they it was a door-to-door Sales position. Now, remind you, bro, we in Texas. It's hot. We are. I'm hot. And like, yeah, man, we uh, we go door to door, and uh, we sell replacement windows. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, man, we uh, we we go door to door, and we're we're gonna teach you our sales pitch, all these sales strategies and marketing, blah blah blah. And I can remember, I, 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 could, I mean, if they were looking at me in the back of that back seat, I was like, first of all, I'm not about to be knocking on nobody's door asking them to replace some windows. I was so upset because I honestly, in an egotistical way, and I don't know if this sounds bad, but I, honestly, I just thought, for one, I didn't go to UT and graduate, bro, to be going door-to-door selling, selling windows. Like, that's beneath me. And I was just in the NFL freaking eight months ago. I can remember, like, bro, what you do before this? And, like, honestly, I did not want to tell them that I played football literally six or seven, eight months before that. Because I'm sure them cats are thinking, like, bro, you, you about to do this? But I'm like, yeah, man, I played ball, da, 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 just trying to, you know, get my foot in the door, da, 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 da. And it's like, all right, man, cool. So we get to this neighborhood. We really do this now. We get to a neighborhood. And the ride just like 99 degrees. And I'm in a suit, in a tie. 
and we walk and we and we farm this neighborhood. We knocking on the door. We we probably knocked on at least twenty doors. One person opened the door. One person. And that lady had she didn't want no parts of that. It was an old lady. She's like, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And she's just being so nice. No, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't need it. I'm like, cool, wait, close the door, woman. Like, he was really trying to sell this woman. And again, he's a natural salesman, so, bro, I get it. No, I ain't judging. Like, he was all for it. But for me, I like, I'm sorry. I didn't go to college for five years, get this degree to go knock, knock door to door. And I, and I kid you not. So we get back to this building. I, my wife, me and my wife still laugh at this story every time we drive by this building. But we get back. And... I don't know what this lady's name is, but I go back to the interview. She's like, so, you know, how was it? I hope we can really get you on a team. And I ain't going to lie, y'all. I straight lied to that chick. And I was like, you know what? I really like it because at the time, I didn't know how to be like, uh, hell no, I ain't doing this. Like, you, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not, woman, do you not, see, I got a national championship ring on. I got a T ring on. means that I've lettered and graduated. I have my degree. It's from the University of Texas. Like, no, I'm not about to go door to door. Like, I'm not, like, and I, this is, in my mind, I'm saying this, I'm, I'm hot. Like, matter of fact, I'm still a little bit hot today about that. But I was like, yeah. She's like, all right, that's so good. She's like, we just need to get some paperwork. Um, do, 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 do. She's like, okay, so all you have to do is just, um, she's like, go outside in the waiting area, and I'll get this paperwork done, and we'll sign it. And we'll, and we, you know, you can start this week if you want. I was like, all right, cool. I kid you not, y'all. I walked out her office. I got in that elevator. As soon as the elevator hit the first floor, I, I kid you not, I ran to my truck. Like, and it's funny because when I got on the elevator, the two dudes were right there like, hey, bro, where you going? Um, You going to go back? I was like, yeah, bro, I just need to go run and get uh, get something from my truck real quick. Like, for real, for real. Like, I just need to go get something from my truck. They said, like, all right, cool. Man, I'm telling you, all when that door, when that, when that elevator, ding, opened that door, I literally, literally ran to my truck and I was so upset okay this was this and now and I tell you this story because this when I knew I was depressed okay I got to my truck and I drove off and I broke down like I'm telling you, I cried like a I cried like when my daddy with my ass or something like I cried I was like bro this is terrible I got cut okay I'm I'm not a football player anymore because at that time I only seen value in myself that I was a football player. That's how I saw myself. I was a football player. That was the only thing I was good at. I gave my entire life to football. Now I don't have football. Now I'm about to be a father, and I'm not going to be able to provide for my son. And then, yet on top of that, that the only job that I can qualify for is some door-to-door salesman to sell windows. That was like my low point. That's when I, that's when I knew that... I was depressed and that for the first time in my life, it was something that I felt like I couldn't fix. Because, you know, as athletes, we always we always feel that we can do anything and we're capable of, capable of anything. And that was the first time for me that I felt alone. I was, in a, I was in a bad place. I was in a dark place. I didn't know who I was. And that's the, that's the day I realized that, bro, I am depressed. And I knew I had to do something quick or I was, it was just one of those things where I just knew it wasn't, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good place to be. It was just one of those things where it was so, it was, it was so bad that I can remember it. The only person I really told the truth about the interview was, was to my wife or my, at the time she's my girl. 
And I just told her, and you know, she was excited. So how did it go? How did it go? Like, man, I didn't tell her that I broke. That's the thing. I didn't tell her that I broke down or that I cried. I just told her, like, nope. There, but I ran. I, I ran to my truck. That's how bad it was. And I can just remember telling my parents, like, no, nah, I just it wasn't a good fit. There's some door to door stuff. I didn't, you know, it wasn't really my thing. But I can remember thinking, like, man, bro, I cannot get a job. Like, I'm not gonna be able to provide. I'm not gonna be able to do anything. So I really wanted to tell that story. So that brings us to the halftime that brings us to the end of this second quarter. I hope that the first two quarters really just gave you the events that put me into my state of depression. And again, this, I was in this state of depression for a while. And even though the third quarter, when I kind of tell you about how I started getting out of it, it was still a long, long process. And it was, it was, a, and again, don't get me wrong, there's a bunch of variables and other factors that helped me, that not helped me, but was a part of me becoming in depression, but it was those events that got me into my, my state of depression. So sit tight, and here's a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Ross Elite Chauffeur Service. At Ross Elite Chauffeur Service, our mission is to provide exemplary service while meeting all your transportation needs. We are proud to offer an extensive fleet of luxury vehicles driven by a team of professional drivers with more than 30 years of chauffeur expertise. From airport transportation to wine tours and any special event in between, we'll get you to your destination in superior style. Ross Elite Chauffeur Service. We know what it means to be elite. So now that you understand the events that put me in my state of depression, now I wanna, wanna give you the storyline of how I got out of depression. And I say I got out of depression because I don't, I know I, I'm not depressed. Now, am I stressed? Of course, but I'm, I know I'm not depressed. So eventually I did get my first job. I had an interview with, with the uh, YMCA to be an after school program coordinator. And basically all that was what I would go to these elementary schools after school and do activities with kids, which was which was actually pretty pretty fun because I found out real quick I was still a kid at heart. And I think being in a in a state of depression, being around kids who don't know your story, don't know who, who you are, they they're just looking for somebody to make a connection with. So it was real it was real easy for me to make connection with kids because we was having a good time. And I just, I was really enjoying it. And it was probably the first time that I really thought about, like, maybe I should get into education. But I, I did know if I got into education, I wanted to coach for sure. It was one of those things where, like, I knew I was marketable. I knew that would give me, like, who wouldn't want to want a former player on the coaching staff? Because I, I did know that, like, my coach in high school was a former player. So it was one of those things where I knew that I can at least be a coach if all else fails. So, I'm doing the YMCA stuff, and I can remember my best friend, my boy D-Cam, was like, he was a, he was already a teacher. He was already a coach, and we would talk, and he would just have this, you know, so much passion. And, and I'm like, man, I I know I can do that. Like, that seems fun. He's just real. He's just real. He a passionate guy anyway. But he, you can tell that he's one of those coaches and teachers that really loves his kids. And until this day, he's the same way. Like, he, you can – I ask him all the time, bro, I don't know how you do high school football. That is not my cup of tea just with the amount of time that you have to spend with your kids. So he's like, hey, bro, I think I can get you on. You can be a uh, ISS teacher or uh, you can get into our SPED department. 
Um, so I was like, cool, man, let's let's do it. So of course he he works his magic. He he gets me an interview. Um, I can remember Mr. Nix, which was probably was my first interview with a school, which was intimidating in itself. But it's probably my first time um, just really going through a tough interview. And but it was like one of those things where I felt like I was built for it. Just because I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm used to being in these kind of situations. But it was it was a, it was a good interview, but it was a tough interview because it was one of those things that made me realize, you know what, I'm going to be more than an athlete. I can't just expect people to believe that I'm qualified because I'm an athlete. It was one of those things where he wanted to, I can remember Mr. Nix asking me some some deep questions, like why you, why do you want to get into education? And at the time, I really didn't know, so I don't know what I said, but I did know at the time that I could at least handle being around children. But this was a little different because I had to be in the spare department. So shout out to all the families who have um, children with special needs um, because those that is a that is a tough position to be in because those kids are just like our kids but they just have special needs so shout out to to those parents I love y'all for not turning y'all back on your kids and then shout out to the special ed teachers too because that is a tough tough job so eventually I do get the job and I'm dealing with kids with special needs I'm dealing with kids who um, who have um, behavioral issues who who are aggressive and it, it was just a tough job but I mean I did love those kids just like just like they were mine it was just it was it was hard so I got that job and what was crazy is probably while well, I know for sure while I was at I had the YMCA job I had the opportunity to try out for the CFL and the first time my agent brought it up to me I I told him no and I remember telling him no because in an egotistical way, which I had, a, I have a lot of ego issues when it comes to sports. I felt like I was already on the NFL roster for a year. I, I looked at that as a step back. Like, why would I go to the CFL when I've been in the NFL? And I can remember after doing, after doing the, uh, after working for that middle school for a little bit, man, it just became tough. Like I said, special needs um, students require a lot of energy and attention. And I can just remember like, man, this is tough. Like I can remember that sometimes like I did not want to go to work to um, to work just because it was, it was hard. It was stressful. It was like it's one of those things where you feel like you, you can't make a difference. And I can remember thinking like, man, maybe I should think about the CFL. So uh, I can remember this was like in November. And this is probably like a month or two in until when I started in November. And my agent hit me up. He's like, hey, man. You sure you don't want to do the CFL thing? Like Saskatchewan Rough Rider wanna, they wanna, they want you to come out. And I was like, I do, I, I, I really do. So I stayed with that job. I started working out. I started training because I had stopped training at that point. I started working out. I was trying to get ready for CFL. And I remember February came around. I can just remember like it was hard for me to go to work and after work train. And I, I, and to this day, it's probably one of the biggest regrets I have because I. I don't think I burnt the bridge, but this wasn't a good look. It's not something that I'm proud to say. Like, hey, I went to my principal. Like, hey, man, I just got to put my two weeks in because I just want to focus on football. You know, I, I'm, I have a chance to go out to play in the CFL, and, you know, I just need the time. So, of course, you know, he's disappointed, but he under, like he understands because he knew my background. So I started training, and I started doing all that, and make a long story short, I did not make the team, and that'd be a that'd be probably another podcast. But I didn't make the team, so that put me in a 
deeper state of, of depression because now I'm like, I'm not even good enough to play in the CFL. So at that time, after I got cut, I, I told myself that football was not going to be a part of my life. I didn't watch football for a long time. I didn't, I didn't even talk to any of my friends. Like I didn't want to have anything to do with football. So that put me in, a, in an even deeper state of depression. And I remember, it's like, so now I need a job. Now I, I just left this job, and you know the school year is about to start. And I can remember my boy Ramos hit me up. He was like, "Hey, bro, uh, do you uh, do you do you still work at at Hutch?" And I was like, "Nah, bro. Actually, I don't." He's like, "Man, we got a position. We got a P job open. You can coach football." And he's like, "Man, but it is six man football. But whatever." What I was like, "I don't even know what six man football is." But at that time, I didn't have that much ego. I was like, man, I was like, man, just get me on. So I do the interview, get the job. And it's one of those things where you have friends who they're proud to tell your story. And I can remember, you know, the kids like, man, you playing the NFL. Da, 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 da. And I got and I was probably I'm sure to my to a lot of my charter school boys that I had. They probably hated me because I was I, I literally did not want to talk about it. I was. Probably, I know for sure I was not the the best coach. I can remember um, just being real hard on them. Like, and in my mindset was like, y'all playing six man football. Like, why y'all talking about the NFL? That's too. That's that's tough. Not that, I, and I never told them that they couldn't do it. I was like, man, y'all need to y'all need to be in in reality. Like, if you if you do want to do football, bro, you need to go to not a charter school with six man football. You need to go to high school. Like, I don't know too many six man. I didn't well, at the time. I didn't know any six-man football players that made this NFL. So I can just remember being real, you know, too, being too realistic for them. Like, I, I mean, I, and I do feel like, hey, if you want to, if you play six-man football, but your dreams and aspirations is to, is to be a collegiate player, just think it's going to be more hard. Not that you don't have the ability, but I, just ain't, I haven't had maybe um, the Dallas Cowboys linebacker, um, the Wolfman, I can't think of his name right now. But maybe he may be, I think he plays six-man football. But anyway, I just remember doing that job. And I remember I, I, I pissed some boys off because they went to my Wikipedia page and and changed uh, changed some information on Wikipedia page that says Coach Foster don't believe in us. He'd be crushing our dreams. And I think that was the, that was the event that was like, man, I, I'm really in a bad place. Like, I'm really depressed. Like, I have... I'm making these kids not believe in themselves. That's like the last thing that I want to do. So I can remember having a meeting with them and telling them like, one, I apologize, but it's I'm not saying that you can't do it. I'm just saying that if if you really want to be a football player, you want to get to the get to the place that I got. One, it takes a lot of hard work, and and it does take a certain mindset, which at the time those kids didn't possess. But all I was trying to say, hey, this is what you want to do, like go to these high schools. You know, and of course, they they don't get to choose what schools they go to. That's the that's their that's their parents' decision. So that was the kids were able to start helping help me see myself in a different light because I can start seeing that my depression was starting to affect the way that I communicated with the kids and not, you know, helping them believe in themselves. So I do that for a year and a half, and. I can just remember, like at that at that point, I did not want to be at that charter school. Not nothing to do with the kids, but just how the charter school was ran. And I just I was at that point, like, man, you know what? I'm sick of this. Like, I just can't do it. 
and I went to a a football clinic. And again, I'm I'm at this point I'm still dealing with depression like on my own. I don't really talk about it much. And I can remember going to this clinic, this football clinic, and it's a Texas football clinic. And every high school coach can high school football coach can go. But I am a six man football coach, so I was like embarrassed. I'm like I'm not going to these. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to any of this stuff. And I can remember actually one of my uh, coaches from college was a speaker. And I didn't even go to his his little speaking engagement because I didn't want to show up and him like, hey, B. Foster, you know, where you coaching? Do, 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 do. And I can just remember thinking like, I do not want to tell him that I'm coaching six-man football. Or I don't want to, I don't want to be around all these other coaches. And they're like, hey, you know, they, they hear about my background and, they start asking me these questions like, why are you coaching six man football? Just but because I, I was just in a in a dark, dark place. And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to I felt like I was a failure. Just all these different emotions that I didn't wanna admit to. So I remember I remember this day to the T I searching online, searching these school districts for certain positions. And there was a there was a PE position at Kennedy Middle School in Grand Prairie. And I knew that one of my coaches was a principal in the district. So I hit up Coach Johnson. I was like, hey, Coach Johnson, I'm trying to get this PE job in the district. And I submitted my resume, resume, but I haven't heard anything. Do you know the, Do you know anybody at the, at the school? And lo and behold, that he did, he did know the principal. He's like, hey, I got, I got you. I'll, I'll text a, or email the principal, let him know. Da, 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 da. So literally the next day, the, that principal called me. He was like, Hey, I got your information from Mr. Johnson, and you know, can you come in for an interview to, today? And I was in San Antonio. I was like, no, I can't come today, but because I'm at this coaching clinic, can I come in two days? He's like, that's fine. So I think that was like a Wednesday. It's like, well, just come Monday for your interview. So I go in, knock it out. Of course, I'm still. I put my T ring on. I put my, I put my national championship ring on. And the interview went great. So I get the job. And remind you, this is the first year. This is an all-boys school. And I get there, Mr. Magruder, I uh, meet the coaches. I do all this. And, you know, they're like, of course, Magruder's like, hey, former UT player, football player, uh, former Colts player, da da da, da. So, you know, the coaches are, they're, they're like, man, it's cool. You know, got a former player. We'll build that relationship. And then it's like, now I have, now I'm coaching, now I'm coaching real football. So I'm just excited because, it's hard trying to coach six-man football when you you never played it, but now I'm I'm coaching eleven-man football and it was exciting and I can remember the kids just constantly coaches asking me because I did PE just asking me you know how was it like or and well the main which is crazy about kids is when they tell when you tell them that you played in the NFL their first question is always well one why are you not still in the NFL and two why'd you quit like to this day every year every Every new crop of kids that we had, same question is, Coach, why did you quit? And every day, like, I tried to not always answer. Because, like, Coach, why are you not playing? I was like, man, you know, this is – I don't know what I told them. But eventually, it got to the point where those kids asked me so much where now when kids ask me, Coach, why you, why'd you quit? I say, look, son, I didn't quit. I got fired. And they're like, what? Like, what you do? And I was like, I'm like, hey, I wasn't good enough. And those – that little phrase, I wasn't good enough, was like, that was the key of getting me out of my depression. It was just like, hey, be foster, like, you just wasn't good enough 
and that's okay. Because kids are like, they're like, man, you weren't good enough. Like, no, nah, man, I just wasn't good enough. Like, I was, I was only good enough for one year, and it was, but it was like, well, well, how was it? Like, they were still interested, like, not like, oh, coach, you trash. Like, and don't get me wrong, once I get cool with my kids, they will tell me to me, like, coach, you was trash, you know, you was trash. And it's one of those things, like, no, nah, man, I wasn't trash, but it's just the next man was better. And I think admitting that someone else was better than me and that, yeah, I wasn't good enough, but that's okay. Like that helped me get out of my depression. And I, every year I go, I go through that phase of kids asking me, Coach, why? And I'm like, man, I wasn't good enough. And it, and it allowed me to one, just admit that I wasn't good enough, and admit that that was okay. And cause I, I just remember some kids telling me, like, man, that's Coach, that's just cool. Like, even if it was just for one year. And I was like, I'm like, damn, these, these are six, seven, and eighth graders telling me, like, man, that's okay. Like, Coach, that's still cool. Like you're the only NFL player that I that I've ever that I've that I come across. I get to see you every day, and I can just remember having like especially with my eighth graders, like like coach, what I, what what I need to do to to get to the league. And I would always tell them like, first of all, let's let's not worry about the league. Let's worry about high school first. Then you can go to play freshman ball. Then you got to make the varsity team. And then once you make the varsity team, then you can start thinking about college. And once you get to college, you got to start playing. Then you gotta then you can start talking about NFL. So just like breaking that down and really finding my purpose and helping kids see that, yeah, you can have that dream, but, hey, listen, I'm going to teach you all the steps because it's more than just I want to go to NFL. So me being able to have that dialogue with kids literally every day was was my therapy, was my medicine because they will literally beg it out of you. Like, it's hard to just kid ask you a question. You're like, man, I ain't answering that question. I ain't talking about that. And don't get me wrong, first couple of times I was probably like just trying to be real short with them. Hey, let's focus on practice, you know, just redirect stuff. But after a while when there's so many kids, not and not even just my athletes, like just my regular PE kids. You know, they're like, oh, coach, let's do this. And they want to play because, you know, they want to see how, how it is to play against an NFL player. And it'll become just one of those things where I build that relationship because it's an all-boys school and we just being competitive. And they, they want to get coach out in dodgeball because, I, like, if I can get coach out, then, you know, they feel better about themselves. So it's crazy because I never really get to tell kids, like especially that first three or four years, I've been there for eight years now, I never really got to tell that, you know, those that first group, sixth graders I had to tell them thank you because honestly they slowly got me out of my depression because they made me see the worst in my accomplishment. Because up until that point, I was really embarrassed to say that I played NFL because and to this day, I still catch myself saying, well, it was only one year. Like, it's not a big deal. And still, people always say, but, man, you made it. And now I do kind of take pride in saying that, yeah, you know what? I did make it. And can tell people what my experience was because it, although it wasn't a great experience because it was stressful, you know, and I'll kind of get into that on a different podcast. But I do take pride to say, you know what? I did make it. And it's okay to say that, yeah, you, you only made it for a year. And... If it wasn't for those kids constantly talking and getting it out of me, I can I'll probably say I would definitely still be in a secret depression because that's exactly what it was. Because again, I didn't want to watch football, I didn't want to talk to anybody, I didn't go to any college games, I didn't do anything, any social events that reminded me of football. I didn't do until I get around these kids who think I am literally the coolest thing ever, even though I was just a scrub. And even then, like it was, I had to tell them like, oh, coach, how many games you start? And I'm like, none. How many interceptions you get? I'm like, I ain't get any interceptions. Like, like it happened to tell over and over, like, hey, I didn't play in any regular season games. I was a practice squad guy. Like, I 
was paid to practice. And for kids to still see the value in that, it's like, man, that's just cool. And then even, you know, teachers start hearing about it and they want to hear all this different stuff. And honestly, just being able to talk about it in, in honestly in a forceful way, I had, you know, those kids forced me to have to talk about it. And that was, that is what helped me out of my depression. And even then, like, they still, my kids, like I say, every year, they're my, the new sixth graders or new seventh, eighth graders that we have, and they hear that, like, like Coach Ross, did you play? I'm like, yeah. And you can tell they want to answer, like, well, what you want to know? Why did I quit? And I'm like, I didn't quit. So it's like those same, those same stories. So this third quarter, I just really wanted to, tell you how honestly I would all to to some kids and don't get me wrong of course my strong wife who helped me get through it of course um she has a pivotal part but when you spend eight hours a day at a school full of kids they pull out they they pretty much saved my my mind because I'm I feel like without the without them without those kids and my wife I definitely would have never got out that depression and I, I just hate that with my charter school kids I didn't necessarily give them that chance to help me out of it because I was just such in a bad space that I never gave them that chance. I was almost, I was always trying to like, just so aggressive, like, nah, you, you know, if you're going to do that, you got to do this, you know, and didn't give them that chance to help me. So that brings me to the end of the third quarter, this fourth quarter. I really, really want to really just kind of give you some advice. And it may not necessarily be the longest quarter, but I just really want to give you some real deal advice. And again, I'm not an expert. If you want some real advice, you need to go see some professional help. So sit tight, and here's a quick intermission. Fourth quarter, let's go. We got to finish strong. So, strategies, advice, insight, however you want to see it. And I touched on this a lot in the previous quarter. And honestly, it just comes down to, and it's easier to believe me, it's a lot easier said than done because everybody's, you know, state of depression is different. And again, I'm not the professional here. I know I'm not even probably using the right lingo or language. But for me, I think the number one thing is honestly just to open your mouth. And I was forced to open my mouth due to, due to you know, naive kids. But honestly, to open your mouth. And I know, you know, besides the kids, I, one of the best things that helped me get out of that state of depression and even other, you know, other things like identity issues and uh, finding my self-worth and self-respect and all of those complexities that I that I deal with now, I think one of the best things that helped me is honestly just talking to my former teammates. And, you know, I got my boy like Marcus and Ishi and, you know, even recently talking to, to Ross. Like, what I realized is that we all go through the same thing. It doesn't matter, like me, who was a one-year player, to somebody when, like, when I talked to Ross, he's like, man, bro, I felt the same way when I was done playing. And I was shocked because I'm like, bro, you, been, you played for seven years. Like, how, There's no way that I thought you would be able to relate to, to what I'm talking about. But I just think if you just have an open dialogue with people who have been in similar situations, and especially when it comes to athletes, 
I feel like we should really, really just hang on each other because if anybody understands us, it's us. Because we're athletes, that's one thing that brings us together. And I don't care if your your career ended after high school or ended after after college or after the pros. And like I say in my intro, that's one thing that we all have in common is a life after sports. And honestly, if if you just got you got those boys or those ladies that you play with. Man, just be be open with each other and say, man, bro, do you feel like this? Like I said, every time I get with my boys, I swear we say some of the same stuff over and over and over. And I can remember finally going back to doing some UT stuff. And, you know, you, of course, you just happen to see everybody, everybody doing good. And, you know, some people are still playing, some, some, some not. Some didn't even get to go to the pros. But we all still kind of going through the same thing. And we all still have those identity issues and some of those, you know, trying to find who we are. And to me, that's probably one of the best things that I feel like is helping me to, you know, with some of those issues that are not depression, but just other issues is honestly just being around people that I know have had the same sacrifices and experiences as I have. Um, I think another thing, and, you know, like I say, I, I feel like behind every good man is a strong woman. And shout out to my wife because she has, I'm telling you all right now, she she has it. She has had every reason to leave just based on my my mindset and just, you know, really figuring out who I am. And I know one thing that, you know, has helped her is, is honestly, like, my friends and their wives, like, our wives have kind of clicked up and helped each other because they have to, they have to deal with us. So I would just honestly say fellas and even ladies like be be open and honest with your partner because like my wife she did not play any sports my wife is an all-american hairstylist okay that's as deep as her athletic ability goes and i'm not clowning you babe because you know you cold at what you do but i can remember a lot of times when i did try to say something or i, I, I didn't even go to her because i'm like you cannot relate to what i'm saying because you didn't play sports and all that, that that may be true, it's still important that you at least share how you're feeling with her. And don't, and I, can, I think my problem was I wanted to talk to her and I wanted her to have a solution. And I don't think that, I think that's probably the wrong way to go about it. I just think you have to just say, you know what, babe, I'm going to tell you some stuff about how I feel and I don't necessarily need you to find me a solution. I just need you to hear me out. And I know for, for men, we're always solution-oriented. Solution and women... Or my woman, I've had to learn that she's not liking me, so she's not gonna. She's listening, but she's not gonna provide me a solution. That's not. That's not what she does. And honestly, that that suits me better because if I'm opening up to her, honestly, in my mind, I probably have the solution. If anything, I just want her to agree to my solution. And if she doesn't, that creates a whole other issue. So I've had to teach myself. Don't when you do decide to open up about whatever issues you have, don't expect your significant other to have a solution unless you ask them directly like hey what do you think i should do so i my next advice would be man just open up to the person that's closest to you and i just think that's very important but before i think even even what's even more important is just self-awareness and that's one thing i think that the kids helped me realize is i i realized that the way i think about myself is really really messed up and this is something that i'm still working on to this day and a lot of it is wrapped wrapped around my identity and seeing myself 
more than just an athlete. Because like I said all the time, man, we give our lives to these sports that we play. And especially when we get to play at a high level and it doesn't necessarily turn out how you want to. Like I said, and, you know, my boy Ross was like, man, if I would have played this one more year, I did this, I, I, I could have got the $40 million deal. And I'm thinking like, and, I, you know, I'm thinking like, bro, if I would have got seven years, I'm good. I don't care about the $40 million deal. But even just to hear his his different mindset, we all still go through those. We go through that where it's like the what if. If I would have did this, if I would have did that. And, I'm, and, you know, I'm sure Sonya is definitely, I mean, she's an athlete too, so I'm sure they're definitely, you know, communicating and bouncing off their ideas and their weaknesses and stuff with each other too. But I just think it's real important that, you have a lot of self-awareness and that you have to be real with your inadequacies and just be real with yourself and say that one, it's not wrong to feel this way, but two, I need to, I need to find out what my root cause is that's making me feel these inadequacies, inadequacies about myself. And that was one of the things that kids have helped me do is like, they will, they made me realize that I don't think very highly of myself, which ultimately kind of put me in that state of depression because I'm like, I don't see, I don't have any self-worth in myself if I don't have football. And I think the biggest strategy would be it starts with yourself. And, again, I'm not the expert on depression. Uh, I don't know what level of depression I was in. I just know that I wasn't in a good place. But I do feel like if you really just take the time to look at yourself without judgment, it would allow you to see, one, it starts, allows you to see your accomplishments as a, as a huge thing and that's something that you really really do need to appreciate and although it necessarily didn't end the way you you wanted it to that it's okay so i really think that you it has to start with, you, with some self-awareness and then like i said start speaking to people that went through the same thing you went through share your feelings with your with your significant other with your wife and i think it's just one of those things like once you say it you, you, you know, it just makes you feel better. So even if it's just as simple as go to your wife and be like, man, babe, I'm depressed. And the simple as that, not even necessarily giving, telling them what you're depressed about. Just like, I'm just going to say what I'm, I'm about to say this. Don't say anything. Don't respond. Just, hey, I really think I'm depressed. And I think that kind of lifts a lot of, you know, stress. That, that lifts a lot of emotion off of your chest just by admitting that out loud you know i don't know the signs behind you know you just saying something out loud that just makes you feel better but i really think i really think it comes down to especially for an athlete man just to say it just to get it out and again this this can apply to i know i do a lot of this podcast is you know really for for players but honestly this podcast is for anybody and again i know i'm not the expert i'm just speaking on experience but just when i began to speak on it that's when things for me started to change drastically. And when you start understanding why you feel this way, you can actually just start speaking on it more. I can remember telling my friends, like, man, I was like, now that I can tell them that I ha I've had, you know, identity issues and really trying to figure out who I am or what's my purpose or just all these things that I never really wanted to talk about and all these things that really made me feel less than. But then when you start talking to people and they start saying, well, dang, bro, I feel the same way. You start feeling like, man, I thought I was, honestly, I thought I was crazy, bro. Thank you for saying that you are going through the same thing. So you start getting power in numbers. 
by just knowing that you're not the only one. So, you know, that brings me, because again, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to sit here and speak for 30 minutes and say what you should do or anything like that. But like I say, open your mouth, speak on it, be vulnerable, and just see where that gets you. So I want to end it on this. I want to, now that my podcast is on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on Google, I want you guys to leave me uh, some reviews. Give me five stars if you like it. If you like it, give me five stars. Leave some reviews. I really want this podcast to grow because I feel like it is not just me. It is all of us. And we can share that commonality of our life after sports and the struggles that we share. So on whatever platform that you are listening to this podcast on, please leave five stars. Please leave some reviews. And if there's some some topics that you want me to talk about, like I said, hit me. Email me at lifeaftersportstalk at gmail.com. If you have some topics that you wanna you want me to discuss, leave me some reviews. So, you know, like I said, email me some suggestions and share this podcast because it's not about me. It's about us. It's about our journey, our life after sports, and it's something that we all share in common. So that brings me to the end. I want to thank you guys for listening to the last podcast where it is the only time to be last. Until next time, I'm out.